It's perhaps not the most exciting way to start a sermon, but I'm going to quote you from the Deed of Union of the Methodist Church, which is where the Methodist Church explains what it is, how it sits within Christendom and things like that. There will be, I'm sure, a URC equivalent, but uh, I couldn't find it. So this is, what the, this is what the Methodist Church says. It defines the Methodist Church by saying that it rejoices in the inheritance of the apostolic faith and loyally accepts the fundamental principles of the historic creeds and of the Protestant Reformation. It loyally accepts the fundamental principles of the historic creeds and of the Protestant Reformation. But we don't say creeds very often. Our Anglican and Catholic friends will say some version of the creed most, if not every week. We in nonconformity don't tend to use them as an integral part of our worship. Some churches going the other way towards the sort of independent churches will insist that there is some creedal statement delivered in every service that takes place. In our traditions, I suppose what we do is that we sing our theology. And therefore, in the, the music that's selected, there are these reminders of what it is that we believe, what it is to be part of the Christian movement. And that, therefore, suggests why we may not say the creeds as often as others do. But that doesn't mean that they're not important. But as you'll see from the two that I have given you, there is not, in a sense, a creed that is the thing. There are a number. And you will see that one is much longer than the other, which doesn't mean that it's better than the other. And so as we reflect on the importance of these statements today and over the next few weeks, we're inviting ourselves in a way to ask ourselves what these markers of belief say to us. So to begin with, I think we need to give ourselves a little bit of context. Do you remember Rolf Harris before he was disgraced? Um, and the programs, we did those pictures. And, and as he began to slather paint all over the, the pieces of paper at the front, the thing he kept used to saying was, can you see what it is yet? And I think that's a really good image for the way that we deal with the creeds. I don't think they're intended, in a sense, as a dogmatic statement. This is what it is. You've got to tick your box to approve this, because they can't be, because in a way, if you look at them, they miss so much out. None of the creeds mention the Bible at all, and I suppose we'd argue it is hugely significant, and we cannot do without it. I think the best way to see the creeds is as a conversation point, a beginning, a picture in a sense of what the church thinks we are about, and therefore it gives us opportunity to talk about these particular things and to see in a way where we sit with them. Because if we go back in history, the creeds didn't really begin to come about until the, the fourth century. Because before that, Christianity was illegal. 
And therefore, any statement that embraced the whole of the church would have been incredibly difficult to organize. There were some creedal statements that individual churches produced as a means of saying to the people coming to be baptized, be part of the church, this is a statement of who we are and what we believe. But it wasn't until Constantine the Great, as he's called, became emperor. And after the Battle of Milvalian Bridge in 312, where he saw this vision of crosses to be put on the swords of his army, it wasn't until after that that the church, in a sense, could meet and discuss what belief was. And when it did meet at the Council of Nicaea, it was really the Church of the East rather than very much of the West that came together. So these statements are in a way the beginning of an understanding. They're an invitation to talk. They are based on what's been revealed in scripture, on the message that the church has proclaimed throughout its history. But I don't think they were ever intended when they were written to be something that in a way was so precise that in a way that had to be it. Rather, they are the beginnings of a conversation. They're saying, this in a sense is where we're aiming for. This is the ideal. This is the journey that we are on. And the invitation to us as pilgrims on the way is to use these, I suppose, as a means of seeing who we are and where we stand in relation to what the church has proclaimed throughout its history with the understanding there'll be some things that we'll be able to put our hands up and say, yes, that's great, that's fantastic, and other things where we might struggle. And sometimes that requires us to take that leap to believe when something in us questions what is there to try and encourage us. The creeds are a powerful reminder that being a Christian is in part about using our minds, our brains. The great Jewish daily prayer, the Shema, talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. A reminder in a way that the way of faith is all-encompassing. And the creeds offer us the beginning points of conversation. Reminding us it's good to talk, it's good to listen, it's good to think, it's good to be stimulated as we continue on this journey. That if our faith is focused entirely in here, we've got it wrong. If our faith is focused entirely on the way that we deal with the community around us, we've got it wrong. It's about this whole picture that involves the totality of who we are and what we are about. And part of that is this necessary conversation about how we understand how God has revealed himself and what that says to us as we continue upon our journey of faith. To have the courage to talk. I was having a conversation with Jim Hope, one of our local preachers earlier in the week, who was recalling the visit of some Africans who came here about 20, 25 years ago, he thinks it was. And they came and they received a very warm welcome. They were very excited about being here. But the reflection back to Jim as they came to the end of their visit and having encountered perhaps 
people in this place and around the circuit was why do the British not really talk about their faith? What is it about us that means these things are a bit held back? And how would we benefit from having these conversations and enabling ourselves to move on? Which brings us to that glorious passage that Jean read from Hebrews. We're always dealing with translations. You know? The English word love is met by four Greek words. So in New Testament, you've got to work out which one we are talking about. And here we have a similar problem in this passage, but in a way the other way. Because the key word that keeps being repeated here is the Greek word pistai, which normally is translated by faith. It recurs throughout chapter 11. By faith, by faith, all these people from Abel right through to Rahab, the prostitute who we encounter in Joshua, and then various other examples are given by faith. But that word pistai can also mean by belief. And we can play about with language in, in terms of what the difference is between the two, but there's something really important here about this thought about how what we believe enables and encourages our faith. But that depiction of what we believe isn't always easy. One of the hardest things I did when I was training for ministry back in the dark ages was our college principal in our second year sat us all down and, and we went through the creeds. And then at the end he said to us, this is your exercise. I want you to go away and I want you to write a creed. I want you to put down what you believe. And I tell you, it was incredibly hard work finding phrases that weren't in a sense in any existing creeds that expressed what I believed. And I suspect that if I found that document and looked at it now, I probably would be at some distance from what I'd put there because the way in which my faith has evolved and grown. But these two elements are crucially important to us as we move forward. All these heroes of the Old Testament that the writers of the Hebrew relates to are offered as an encouragement to a community that's being persecuted, that's under the cosh, where people are moving away from the community of faith because of what's happening around them. They're in dark and dangerous times. And the writer is trying to encourage them to see their involvement in the faith story, the way in which God has moved amongst his people, and look for these heroes whose stories speak about how faith belief enable them to overcome some of the horrors with which they were confronted. The whole of the Old Testament in the story, in a way, the story is one of where faith overcomes the circumstances that are competing with it. Where belief is seen to be of far greater significance in terms of the Jewish Christian tradition 
than those that sit around them because it speaks with a clear, distinct and different voice. Which brings us to Romans and that passage that Ron read for us and that image of moving from perseverance, from suffering to perseverance, to character, to hope. This picture of what faith can achieve, the way in which we are changed, improved, developed, the way in which we are invited to grow. Here are pictures of great possibility that we're invited to reflect on, consider, and move forward with. So it asks of us, how does this faith story that we have inherited in scripture and in the life of the church up until this day, how does that affect us? It asks us what we believe. It asks us which areas do we need to reflect on more, in a sense to come to that point where we're clearer about what we believe. Which bits the church is teaching perhaps do we struggle with and why and what can we do to understand why the church says that, what the church is really saying and how we respond to it. Which brings us to the next stage of this process which is the importance of conversations. And I suppose important conversations. Um, about 10, dig- 10 days ago, Louise and I went off to see the district chair to have our discussion about the stationing process that we are now in to move, as you're aware, next summer. And that's a really important conversation because Roger Walton and those who are there have a, a set of questions that the Methodist Church invites them to ask us that are all to do with, if you like, our understanding of itinerancy of ministers putting themselves, if you like, at God's disposal and what that means for them as individuals. Where the next period of ministry might find itself and I suppose asking us to think about the significance of the call of God alongside all the elements of life that are there as well and where the priorities lie and what that might mean about where we might end up when the stationing process kicks in in a couple of months' time. It was a really important conversation. It wasn't particularly heavy, but it was significant because I suppose it it made us think about things that we've not really had to think about for the past nine years while we've been settled here in Skipton. When did you last have a conversation that really made you think. When did you last have a conversation that had some depth? The challenge that this six-week process offers to us all, whether we're involved in the midweek groups or not, offers to us all is to think about some of the key 
fundamental things that the church says it believes and how we respond to that. It reminds us that this and any other church should be a hotbed of reflection as we try to make sense of what God is saying to us in the midst of our current reality. Where God is in the midst of the journey in which we are engaged. We need to remind ourselves that in many ways what the Bible is is a series of conversations between people, sometimes between individuals and God, wherever they may find themselves, where people are trying to explore and understand what God is all about, what our part is in this great story. So when the prophets stand up and speak and invite the people to respond, they are in a sense saying to them, think about this, talk about this, See if where you are is the place where God invites you to be. And there is a great challenge there for us as we journey forward in terms of how we engage with this conversation. How we articulate what we believe. Whether we dare to allow our minds to try and embrace something of the reality of what we are called to discover. Because if you read those who are talking about the interplay between faith and those who are agnostic and atheist, one of the things that they are saying is that those who are atheists need to be able to explain their faith. It needs to be rational in the same way that we who are of faith need to be able to explain our faith in a rational way so that people can see something of what we're about. And the difficulty is that over the past little while the church has been quite hesitant about talking about what it believes. Even within churches we have a fear that either we're going to be wrong or we're going to upset somebody or we may not agree rather than seeing that this process of talking together is of fundamental importance because it helps all of us gain a sense of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Because the creeds are not what we believe what we believe is based on our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what's really important. The creeds just give us a picture. Reflections on scripture, reflections on the words that we sing, conversations that we have are all vitally important in helping each and every one of us build up that understanding. So I want to leave you with a, a challenge for the week that lies ahead. That if you want, you can begin over coffee. And it's to ask this question. What do you believe?
What do the creeds say to you? And then perhaps most important of all, are we willing to begin a conversation with each other, with friends in other churches, with people beyond the church about what it is that we believe? If, as my college principal did to me 20 odd years ago, I sent you home and said, I want you to go home and write out a creedal statement, what might it say? How might you explain that to the people sitting in the pews around you? Our hope is that our church here is a place of welcome, where people will come in. And if they come in from the church already, that's great and wonderful, and we can have conversations with them, and we can talk faith and belief with them. But if somebody comes in to whom the church is a novelty, and they came to you after church, cup of coffee in hand and said what do you believe what would you say to them 